Hi, you guys. I am so excited to recording today. I'm recording something that I am really passionate about. And so, yeah, I'm really excited. And it, it, it can be a, I don't want to say a tough subject, a touchy subject. There's lots of opinions, I guess, when it comes to what I'm talking about today. And so what I'm talking about today is mental health and the stigma that is around mental health. Uh, last Sunday, um, my sister, me and my sisters are on like this group text and one of my sisters sent me a photo of something that someone had posted and it was about mental health and mental illness, and it was saying that basically everything's all in your head and that you can change it. And that just really got me going because that's not true. With mental health, things are not just in your head. There's things that happen to you, whether it's trauma or chemical imbalances in the brain that cause certain things like depression and anxiety. Can you choose how you react to certain things? Most of the time, yeah. But mental illness is definitely not just in your head. You can't just choose to be happy when you have depression. You can't just... I mean, uh, there's just so much around it and so let me kind of start for me with mental illness for a long time I did not understand it at all I was totally that person that was like is depression like really even a thing like people are just choosing to be sad like can't like (laughs) I was totally one of those people that bug me so bad now uh, and everything, when things started changing for me, my mom is a social worker. Um, she went to go s- to school for her, she has two masters actually. Um, she has LCSW, so she's also able to do therapy. So when she started going to school and kind of learning everything, obviously at home, she would teach us a lot. And so she kind of, and her main, one of her main focuses was mental health. Uh, My sister growing up had really bad depression and I didn't understand it at all. And I was really rude about it Um, because I would just think, like, why would she think like that? Why can't she just be happy? Why can't she just get over it? Like, and so my mom, you know, explained to me that it's something in our brain. It's a chemical imbalance. Her brain was obviously not making enough serotonin, which is the hormone that makes you happy. And so she couldn't just get over it or snap out of it. Um, 
I struggled with anxiety and still tr- struggle with anxiety. Um, I didn't start getting help for it until three years ago. But now looking back, I mean, I've had it my whole life. So she started going to some, getting some therapy and getting on some medication. I still don't really understand it, but I did start trying to be more understanding. And then when it really got serious, um, one year she, um, was just in a really dark place and she attempted suicide and had to be in the hospital, had to be hospitalized. And I think it was finally then that I realized she, like it, life is really hard for her and I felt so bad for not loving her more and being more understanding about it. Um, I had anxiety basically all my life. I didn't start getting help for it until about three years ago. So with my first pregnancy, I knew there was a chance of postpartum depression. My mom talked to me about it a lot. You know, these are the warning signs. And if this happens, it's okay. You know, and just come and ask for help. And so I had my first baby. Um, all was actually really well. Pregnancy was good. Delivery was good. But becoming a new mom, OMG. It is freaking hard. You're tired all the time. When you do have a chance to shower, you would rather sleep. And then if you do shower, you go shower right as soon as, you know, you put them down right as soon as you get in the shower, they cry. Or you hear phantom cries. I also tried breastfeeding and couldn't get the hang of it. And so I switched to formula. And of course, I had that mom guilt of, you know, I can't even get my give my baby the best milk that he deserves. And I remember one night I was just sobbing. And at this time when you lived with my parents. And so I went down. Um, my husband took the baby. I went downstairs on the couch and my mom was down there and I just sat down and cried and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And she's like, no mom knows, no new mom knows what they're doing. (laughs) She's like, everyone has to learn. Everyone that has a baby, the first baby, especially, they don't know what they're doing. I mean, I have three babies now and I still, some days I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, having a new baby is hard. And then I started having some thoughts, um, you know, the thoughts they warn you about, about, you know, I'd have thoughts of, you know, always crying. I don't want to get up to get him. I'll just let him cry. Or, oh, if I just put my hand over his mouth, I can make him stop crying and, And you have these thoughts where you're like, I can't tell anybody because they'll think I'm some crazy psycho mom when really it's just 
postpartum depression. And so, you know, I told my mom I was having some thoughts. And so we went to my doctor and he put me on some medication and I took it for a while, but the medication he put me on wasn't my favorite. It made me feel numb. Like it was almost like an out of body experience. I remember I would be sitting there and in my head I would think, oh, I should be sad right now. Or, oh, this usually would make me anxious. Like, I should feel anxious right now. But, like, I didn't. I just felt numb. And so, I didn't like that. But I stayed on it for a few more months. And then I decided to get a job. Um, at night when my husband was home because I thought, you know, maybe getting out of the house a couple times a week would help. Um, and so I started doing that. So then I stopped taking my medication and it actually wasn't too bad. I felt like my normal self again. I didn't feel like I was having too many issues anymore with the postpartum depression or with the anxiety at least you know, not more than what I'm used to. And so, um, had that job and I only had that job for a little while because one day I was at that job and I kept blacking out. And so I had to, so I went to my cardiologist and it was just a arrhythmia in my heart but it was because I was up on my feet all day and walking around and not getting a ton to eat or a ton to drink and so after that I decided to stop working um which was hard because I'd enjoyed it I did enjoy that you know time away feeling like myself because I think as a mom we can get tied up in the role of you know I'm just a mom which is not true the person before we became a mom that person's important too and for a long time I didn't see that I'm learning that now slowly I mean I still have moments where I feel like I'm mom and then when I want to go do something I have that mom guilt of you know oh I shouldn't do this for myself or I should be home with my kids or I should be spending this time with my kids but I know that it's important to take care of myself um so then with my next baby it was a really hard time in my life um for me at least <laughs> some people do it all the time but um my parents decided to move back to Mississippi this was actually before I knew I was pregnant um and I'm very attached to my mom my siblings still joke all the time saying that the umbilical cord is still attached but I don't care because 
I love my mom and she's a big part of my life. And I think like I mentioned in my first episode with my heart defect, that was one of the reasons why we are so close. And I think why I feel that attachment to her even more so. Anyway, so they were moving to Mississippi, which was thousands of miles away from where I was in Utah. So that was already hard. Um, I resented them a lot for a little while. Um, and then I got pregnant with my second and the hormones were so bad. I went into a severe deep depression. I wanted to sleep all the time. I didn't want to ever go out and do anything. I never wanted to cook. I basically woke up, did what I had to do for my son. Um, like, you know, get him dressed, feed him, change his diaper. Um, I would even try to take him outside, you know, when I was feeling more up to it. But besides that, I basically sat on the couch and we watched TV or I just let him play until my husband got home from work. And then either my husband would cook or we would just go out and get some food. Um, and so, yeah, it was a really hard time for me. And near the end of my pregnancy, I started getting a lot more anxiety Um, Near the end of my pregnancy, we had decided that we should move to Mississippi because I just didn't want to be away from my mom. I didn't want my kids to not be near my, their grandparents, my parents. And so it was going to be crazy because how it was going to have to happen was I would have uh, my son His due date was May 24th and my mom was obviously going to come out for that and then we were going to, well we had already started packing, but we were going to pack everything and then like a week later um, move to Mississippi with a one week old baby and a two year old (laughs) moving across country. Oh, we were crazy, but. I had to be with my mom. So yeah, like I was saying, near the end of my pregnancy, I was getting anxious just because, um, well, I started getting preeclampsia, which is the high blood pressure. And with high blood pressure, it's not good for baby and for me even more because of my heart. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to deliver this baby early and my mom's not going to be here. Um, and we had had a couple of like little things like that where we thought, you know, oh, we're going to have to go in, but then it was nothing. But then this one particular day I was feeling very crampy. Um, but then when I would sit down, lay down, they would stop. So I wasn't really thinking much of it. Um, my blood pressure was high, but not too high where I needed to go in. And so, but I kind of just felt like something was off. And then there was a time where I just, I hadn't felt to move for very long. So we decided to go in. And of course, in my mind, I'm like, okay, we're just going to go in. Just going to make sure he's okay. 
we'll come home. It'll be fine. So we get there and she's like, the nurse is like, oh, did you feel that contraction? And I'm like, no, what contraction? And she's like, you're having contractions. And they're like three minutes apart. And with your heart history, we're just going to keep you and deliver this baby. And I'm like, great. Awesome. So I had to call my mom and um, obviously she can get there right away. She did. She was eventually, she did change her flight so that she could be there the next day. Had my baby. Mom came. And then, like I said, we were supposed to, um, the week later, we were going to pack up and move everything to Mississippi. So, and the reason that we wanted to give it a week, obviously, for me to heal a little bit, um, finish packing but then also so that we could have his one week checkup before we left and so we we waited a week and I just was not feeling good at all like obviously after birth you don't feel great and you're healing but like I just every like I remember with my first you know each morning after um birth you know, every day you felt you would feel a little bit better and a little bit better. And I just, I was just feeling the opposite with this. And, um, so we go to his one week checkup. And so this is the first day that I actually like really got up, got dressed and everything. And we were at his first week checkup and I was just having these chest pains. And I was like, okay, this is really weird, concerning. Oh, and I had a raging, a raging headache that I could not get rid of. And, uh, uh, so this time, um, I was going to try breastfeeding again. And so my milk had just come in and my sister, who's a lactation consultant, I messaged her and I was like, Hey, when your milk comes in, does your, does that, would that make me have chest pains? And she was like, well, she's like, it might feel like heavy, but you shouldn't be having like actual chest pains at something else and you need to go see a doctor and so we decided well we checked my blood pressure and it was high and so we decided to go into the ER and when we got there um, my blood pressure was so high that they took me back right away started me on a magnesium drip and then started doing a bunch of tests and come to find out I had post-eclampsia, which I guess is a thing and it's a lot more dangerous. I didn't know, but it is something that will happen or can happen. So I was at the hospital for, I don't even, it was all kind of a blur. <laughs> for me, it felt like just a few days and I was on the MAC drip and my blood pressure wasn't coming down and but the doctors didn't seem very concerned and they didn't want to put me on blood pressure medication for some reason I don't know it was really a really traumatic experience for me um I came close to death multiple times like so close to death where I was literally bargaining with my heavenly father which 
I've never done. I always had the mentality, and I saw the mentality, you know, that death isn't forever and that we'll be able to be with our families forever and I'll see my family again. And so in my head, I was never afraid to die. But at this moment when I was literally feeling like I was dying, I was so scared. And so, uh, and I had just had a baby and I had my other son. And so I was bargaining so much with the Lord. I was like, Heavenly Father, like you've saved me so many times. I know that you can heal me. Please just, you know, I need to be here for my babies. I need to be their mom. After everything, the hospital that we were at, I'm not going to mention a name because it's a great hospital, but anyways, it just, they just didn't seem to care. And so we decided to, I decided to discharge myself and we were going to go somewhere else. And so that's what we did. Um, we decided to, I discharged myself. We went home. As soon as I got off that magic mag drip and was driving home, my of course my blood pressure went up again. So we went to the other hospital, checked in at the ER, told them about our experience and everything that was happening. And they're like, okay, well, we'll put you on blood pressure medication. Like, why wouldn't they do that? So I had to be put in uh, the cardiac ICU, but they did start me on blood pressure medication, which eventually after, I think it was like two days, my blood pressure finally stayed down enough for me to be able to go home. And I went on, I went home on the blood pressure medication. Be obviously, I, you know, they wanted me to take it for like at least the next month, see what would happen after that. So we were supposed to be moving, but then all this traumatic stuff happened and so we <laughs> obviously didn't move when we wanted to um, but we did so after I went home I started finally feeling better getting better so then we moved to Mississippi and um, so I guess this has just kind of turned into <laughs> just telling um, about my whole postpartum depression journey and my mental health journey. I didn't think I was going to be telling this much, but we're just going to go with it. Um, so we moved to Mississippi and we lived with my parents. One of the big things that was hard was my husband's job. He, my parents live in a super small town in Mississippi. And so it was hard to find a job. He's an IT guy. And so there's like one IT company in all of Natchez, Mississippi. And so he was able to get a job there, but it just wasn't working out. We had just moved to a new state. My husband didn't love it. Um, obviously, he's so awesome because he wanted me to be happy. And that's why he did it for me. But I mean, I had I knew about the South because my family was from there. I had been on vacations down here so obviously I'd never lived here but I was aware of how the south was whereas he was born and raised in Utah 
So he had no idea. So, I mean, it was a culture shock. Of course, living with your in-laws is never fun. Um, we had a three-year-old and a newborn baby. Um, and so that's really when, oh, and then he had lost his job. And so we went three months with him unemployed trying to find a job and that's really when my anxiety started going crazy not so much the postpartum depression because I wasn't like I didn't feel sad and reclusive and stuff like that but I started just being so angry and snapping at every little thing and of course it would always go to my poor little three-year-old because Bless his heart, three-year-olds are freaking maniacs. I wanted to see a more rude word, but (laughs) I won't. They're freaking little devils. And so any little thing he did that was just made me go crazy, I would just snap at him. And so then, of course, I felt so bad. And and I knew it wasn't me. Like, that wasn't me. And so I was like, where, why is... Where's this anger coming from? I feel like I can't control it. I don't know what's going on. And so I went to a doctor there and told him, and I was like, you know, I think it's, I just am having a lot of anxiety. And so they put me on medication and it's the same medication I'm on today. And it has literally changed my life. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there who don't agree with medicating for the brain which to you I say (laughs) poo-poo because the brain like I said mental illness you have no control over you cannot control it anything in the brain it's the brain is an organ Just as my heart is an organ. My heart is an organ. Would I just tell the surgeon, oh, it's fine. I can control my heart. I don't need to have a part put in that's missing. No, I would die. And one way that my mom explains it, um, say you have diabetes. The pancreas is an organ. If it's not getting enough insulin, or if it's not secreting enough insulin, obviously we're going to have a problem. So would you just sit back and not help a diabetic? No. You would give them some freaking insulin so that they don't die. It's same with the brain. When you have depression, it's not making enough serotonin. So let's help give the brain some serotonin. And we can help so that that person will not die because mental health uncontrolled can lead to death. Sorry, as you can tell, I'm very <laughs> passionate about this because I don't, we need to understand that the brain is an organ just like anything else. I don't understand why people, why you don't see that. Okay. <laughs> I gotta calm down a little bit, get my thoughts together. I can see how some people think, oh, it's just all in your head. Oh, you should be able to control that. 
because I mean, like right now, I'm controlling what's coming out of my mouth. But mental health, mental illness is different. The brains, you brains look different. And so sometimes medication is necessary and that's okay. And you shouldn't be ashamed if you need to take medication. And you shouldn't be ashamed if your child needs to take medication. And of course, there's many other resources too, like therapy. Therapy is great. Like I said, my mom is a therapist, a psychotherapist. And she has helped me so much. I have done so much therapy and so much growth with her. And I love it. I think everyone should go to therapy. Everyone can use therapy. We all have trauma in our lives. So with using multiple skills, multiple resources, that's awesome. And that's what we should be doing. And medication is one of those resources. Another thing with medication that I think can go back to why some people, uh, some people think that once they're on the medication for so long and they start feeling better that they can just go off of it and be fine because they're like, oh, I'm feeling better now. I feel good. I don't feel anxious. I feel more productive and like I have more energy and it's like, well, yeah, because the medication's working. (laughs) So if you were to go off the medication, all those symptoms are going to come back. And not only that, but with medication for like depression and anxiety and probably other medications I don't know but depression and anxiety are the ones that I've had experience with they all have a withdrawal period oh so you can't just if you are going to go off you at least need to wean yourself off don't just go off cold turkey and like I said with the therapy therapy is so awesome what else is awesome is learning good healthy coping skills which that a therapist can help you with. Um, A lot of people, you know, love doing meditation, and that is a super awesome coping skill. Learning to breathe and things like that. One for me that I use a lot is because of my anxiety, my brain just, I just feel like my brain's going all the time, thinking what I need to do, what I shouldn't do, you know, what's happening just going all the time and so because of that a lot of times I can't sleep my brain just won't shut off so one thing I've learned is that if I write it down somewhere whether it's on a notepad or I like to use the notes on my phone but I just write down some of the thoughts that I'm having that it get for at least it might not be solved but or done or whatever but at least for that moment it's out of my brain I'm able to relax a little bit and that helps me go to sleep. Another thing that has really helped me and is really big right now is a weighted blanket. I didn't think that it would help as much as it does, but it does. It's awesome. So if you have anxiety, then a weighted blanket, you should give it a try. It takes some getting used to, but then after you're used to it, you can never sleep without it. If you think you have anxiety or depression or anything else, it's okay to ask for help. Reach out, ask for help. There's so many people willing to help you. 
And if you think you have it, but you're not sure, like for me, my, when my anxiety or like with postpartum depression, when it gets so bad that it's affecting your everyday life, then it's probably time to reach out for some help. And when I mean affecting your everyday life, I mean like, like with depression, if you don't want to get up and, you know, you don't want to get up out of bed, you just want to sleep all the time or you have no motivation to do anything. Um, for me with anxiety, when my anxiety is really bad, for me, I resort to sleep as well. Um, I try to, when I'm not using my coping skills, sleep is obviously not a good coping skill because your problems are still there when you wake up. But sometimes for the moment, it seems nice kind of like to run away. Um, but then anxiety is also stuff like when you can't, you don't want to go outside because you might get sick. So you never go outside or you don't want to be around people or it's hard to make that phone call. And that's one, one thing that I, every day I struggle with and I, it seems so almost dumb, but it's real and I feel it. But for me to make a phone call, a lot of the times, especially if it's a an adult thing, that is really hard for me. It is really scary for me. I'm sure if I dug deep, I could figure out why. But I know one of the reasons is because I'm very much a... Like, I like to talk and I like to see the person and it's like... I like to read, like I can read people. So if I can see the expression on your face, I kind of like know what you're thinking or whereas over the phone, I can't see their face. I don't know if they think I'm dumb or (laughs) I don't know. For some reason, I just feel like I can explain things better in person. I don't know. Maybe that's just an excuse. But that's one thing that's really hard for me is making phone calls with my last pregnancy in this um I stayed on my medication. Um, My doctor, you know, said it was fine and safe for pregnancy, so I stayed on it. And like I said, I've been on it for three years now. And so with this last baby, I didn't have as much anxiety and or depression. Um, It was another traumatic birth. (laughs) And so I have started going to therapy um and not just my mom because I love my mom but obviously she's my mom (laughs) and so it's a lot I don't say a lot easier but sometimes it's easier to share things with someone we don't know in confidence um Plus, sometimes, you know, my mom has been so close to me for so long that sometimes it's hard for her, I think, to step out of the mom role to switch to the therapist role. And so, anyways, I still love my mom. I still go to help for her with, I still go to her for help all the time. But I've also been going to a different therapist that has really helped me. I've realized how much of my anxiety stems from my heart defect and 
how much, I mean, it, it's just been so much of the physical for so long, worrying about the physical and learning about how my heart's working and how it's doing and the heart surgeries and the appointments and everything like that, that I never took the time to really open up that emotional side. I've kind of just kept that emotional side of it buried. Um, but little pieces here and there come out. And obviously that's a lot where my anxiety come from. I get anxiety when I can't control the situation or if I've made a plan and it doesn't go accordingly. So control. And the reason I like to control things, have control of things is because obviously with my heart, I can't control anything, nothing. I can't control why I was born with it. I can't control, sorry, I didn't know I'd get emotional. Um, I can't control when I'll go into heart failure, when I'll need another surgery. I can't control if today's gonna be a good day or a bad day physically. And even though I know obviously anyone could die at any time, there's still, with me, there's just always something lingering. There's just that lingering something that I just never know when death is going to come or how it's going to come. Or, you know, things like that. And then, of course, that takes me to wanting to spend as much time I can with my family. And why I wanted a family so young and why I got married so young is because I didn't want to miss out on those things. Anyways, <laughs> got all emotional there. Um, and that's okay. I'm learning that it's okay to have those emotions. It's okay to feel sad about my heart defect because it's always kind of been this constant tug of war of this is something that I'm trying to embrace and it's a part of me and I want it to make me stronger and, you know, have this positive side of it which I do I want but then on the other side it's this part of me oh gosh that is sometimes so hard to accept and so hard physically And it's so hard financially, and it's so hard on family. And so it's this emotional tug of war of almost love and hate. And sometimes I feel like I have to choose one, but I don't. It can be something that makes me stronger and inspires and it's also something that I don't love and I think that's okay there's balance in all things obviously I try to find the positive 
of it more because if I lingered on the frustration that it brings, I would be miserable. There's this saying that I found the other day. And like I said, I love quotes. I love little sayings because a lot of the times it's hard for me to find the words. And so when I find these and I'm like, okay, yep, that's exactly how I feel. Someone just put what's in my brain down on paper. So I found this and it said, and it was about, um, I was looking at things about chronic illness and it says, when it chooses you, you're suddenly thrust into a club that you didn't ask to join. You're shipped off to war, even though you never enlisted in the army, but you have to put your armor on anyway and know that if you're lucky, you'll discover new sides of yourself. Like a will you never knew you had. And you'll get to see new sides of people who matter the most to you in the world as they wrap you in their love and lend you their strength when you're just running low. And then you go off and you fight. And you fight like hell. Because really, what other choice do you have? Whew. Sorry, guys. I didn't know I'd get so... Well, I knew that this was going to be a hard one for me because I'm a very emotional person so just bear with me <laughs> sorry if you're sick of hearing me my blubbering but really I hope that you guys have enjoyed this podcast I really it's just really something that's so passionate that I'm so passionate about mental illness and I think especially right now is huge and there is such a stigma whether it's with medication or getting therapy there's just so much shame. We need to stop. It has to stop. We need to help those and help ourselves. Um, there is obviously a lot of things could be a lot different in this world if it weren't for mental illness. One thing that comes to my mind is all the school shootings. Almost with all the school shootings, once they've investigated and everything, there's always some kind of underlining mental illness. Always. Whether when unnoticed or just nobody helped. And so the next time, or if you know someone that seems, you know, very reclusive or angry all the time, I mean, don't you know, be in their face and, unless, you know, you're really close to them, but it's okay to just share what you know and how you feel and let them know it's okay to feel that way. You're not a bad person because you think that way or, you know, it's also, you know, you, it's not, there's certain things that are not, it's not normal to feel that way and we need to recognize those things. And just help others around us. Be kind because you never know the battle someone's fighting. You never know what circumstances they're going through. What they either it's something they've been going through their whole life or maybe just that morning. You just never know. And so. I hope this podcast hasn't been too crazy jumble mumble. My head has been 
feels crazy (laughs) jumble mumble there's been a lot of information that I've wanted to share and so I hope that I've been able to make sense and that know that if you feel like you need help to reach out reach out to me reach out to someone that you trust and go get therapy go get on that medication if that's what you need then that's okay and don't feel ashamed either don't feel ashamed because you don't need to um so yeah thank you for listening to this podcast it was a big one for me and i can't wait to talk to you guys in my next episode bye Thank you.